Father, we gather here proclaiming your greatness. God, we know that you have shown us your greatness through your love. And God, we ask you to show us that again here today as we hear from your word. In the name I pray, amen. Amen. Good morning and be seated, please. Welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here. And it is our privilege to have you gathered with us this morning as we come together to worship. Thank you again so much. Um, enjoyed the worship this morning already. And I'm anxious to speak to you this morning as we continue in the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be the very end of Mark chapter 12. I'm going to speak to you this morning about the power of generosity. As you're turning, let me give you just a couple of, uh, um, a couple of notes. We do have baptism again next Sunday. Uh, I know that we have a few that are already lined up. If you would like to be baptized, please do us the favor of going online and filling out the little baptism request form. Uh, that just sends an email and, and makes sure that we have everything in one place. So if you would do that for us so that we don't overlook that, uh, you in that, that would really be beneficial. Also tonight, there are no regular evening worship services. We have our quarterly um, life group fellowship. Thank you. We have our quarterly life group fellowship this evening. So uh, some of you, I'm sure, have life group fellowships already lined up. We do, however, have... Um, uh, next Steps class. And so those of you that I know there's uh, some that have already signed up, if you've been visiting with us, you wonder what it might be like to join Malvern Hill, or perhaps you, you've been visiting and just have some questions, uh, I would love to meet with you and talk with you through what that would look like. We meet in a conference room just behind that door right there, so I would love for you to be here with us at 4 o'clock this afternoon as I lead that class on our Next Steps. Okay, by now, hopefully you've turned to Mark chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 41. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. The Bible says this, And he, now that he hears Jesus, remember that, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people, putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would show us what it looks like to live lives of generosity, lives that are fully committed to you, Lord, that you would impress upon us, Father God, the value of giving as an aspect of our discipleship. But Lord God, even more, that you would show us this morning how it is that it is our life that you want, Father God. Not just pennies and dimes, but Father God, every breath of our lives. Work through your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Fred Barley was 19 years old and was found living in a tent on the campus of Gordon State College in Barnesville, Georgia. Police officers found him and were prepared to evict him. Then they heard his story. Barley had ridden six hours from Conyers, Georgia on his little brother's 20-inch bike. Carrying all of his possessions, a duffel bag, a tent, two gallons of water, and a box of cereal in order to enroll for his second semester at the school as a biology major. He'd arrived early to look for a job but hadn't had any luck. Police officer said, man, I'm like, this man is crazy, one of the officers said. But moved by Barley's plight, the officers put Barley up at a motel on their own dime. Word quickly spread, and soon people donated clothes, school supplies, and funds to cover the rest of his motel stay. 
He was given a job at a pizzeria. And then um, they set up a GoFundMe page for him. Goes on to just say, man, I thought this kid just rode 20, a 20-inch bike, six hours in 100-degree weather. He's determined. Man, we can, we can get on board for giving to a cause like that, can't we? We see a winning cause. We see somebody that's really putting in the effort, and we can get on board for doing all we can to support somebody like that. As we think about what it looks like to give, I want us to begin this morning with just a reminder that the gifts that come from our wallet don't start in our wallet. The gifts that come from our wallet start in our heart. Uh, And and I'm actually going to give you a hint on the conclusion to the sermon this morning. I don't find it necessary often to urge people who are sold out to Jesus to sell out with all that they have. I, I don't find it difficult to get people who are sold out to Jesus to open up their wallets because God tends to, to, to work in our heart first and then work all the way down into our wallets. But uh, this, this aspect, this, this concept of giving, of generosity, of tithing, it can also be sort of sticky because some people get really frustrated when we start talking about this in the church. Just watch what I'm about to say. We're going to connect the dots right here. Remember what I just said? I don't have a trouble getting people who are sold out to Jesus to be willing to allow their wallets to be sold out to Jesus too. So I said that, and then I said, some people in the church get really upset when we start talking about money. I'm going to let you all fill in the dots right there. If you haven't filled in the dots, let me tell you, if you're upset because we're going to talk about money, there could be a spiritual issue and not a financial issue. This might be a hard issue. Um, so just, just tuck that away in the back of your mind this morning that before you get angry, perhaps ask why it is that you might get angry. Second thing this morning, I need a huge favor from y'all. Um, our, our, Scott Taylor's our, our, uh, our financial secretary, and he, he reminded me this week, he knew I was preaching this sermon. Y'all, every time I preach on money, y'all don't give the next week. It's the truth. I mentioned it three weeks ago, and our tithes dropped by 50%. I need y'all to buck the trend, all right? I I need that. I need that. Um, God has blessed our church in recent months, and I want y'all to know that. I think it's important that that y'all know that as I stand up here to preach this sermon this morning, I'm I'm so glad that I'm not standing up here preaching, oh, please do something quick, because if you don't, you know, we don't know how we're going to keep the lights on and pay salaries. God has blessed us financially. You all have shown up and shown out in so many ways, and for that I am so grateful. For the first time that I can ever remember, we are actually ahead of budget. Um, Here at the end of June, we were about 1% ahead of budget, which means that you guys, many of you have very sanctified wallets already. Your hearts are, are saying, I believe in what's happening at Malvern Hill. I believe in what God's doing at work. And I want to be faithful in my tithes and my offerings. And for that, I just want to say, I am so grateful to you this morning for all of you that give. But we're going to talk about tithing and we're going to talk about generosity this morning, not because we're starving to death, but because Jesus talked about it right here in the book of Mark. Because as Jesus was working through his daily ministry, as he's there in Jerusalem, there came an opportunity for Jesus to sit down on a bucket, maybe. But who knows? Maybe a bench. Jesus is sitting and he's observing the people as they come and they're dropping their money in these these big offering boxes. They were called trumpet boxes, we believe, because they were, you ready for this? Shaped like trumpets. How about that? Uh, So he's dropping, they're dropping the offering in these boxes. And even back then, people could give to the things that they felt like, like they could be given their temple tax or they could be be giving to, the, to the, 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 the sacrifices, or they could be giving to this or to that. And so uh, all these people are coming by, 
And Jesus says to his disciples, now remember, he's just talked about the scribes and about how weaselly they can be because some of them, he says, are robbing widows to support their lifestyle. And there you've got this picture of of the scribes and and Jesus sits with his disciples and these people start coming by and as they come by they drop in the money and they drop in the offering and and Jesus takes a moment he says did y'all see that the disciples like yeah we just we just saw Johnny millionaire come up and, and drop in you know a large sum in every single offering box we saw it Jesus said no you didn't see it I'm not talking about him way to go we're glad for him did you see her? They said, that, that little raggedy widow, we, yeah, we saw that lady. She can't do anything. What are we going to do with that? Jesus says, I tell you, she gave more than anybody else. This morning, I want you to walk away. If you don't walk away with anything else, I want you to walk away with this. God's economy is backwards from the world's economy. and God's economy is upside down. And it's possible that God's not counting the dollars and cents so much as God is counting exactly what's going on in your heart. So this morning, there are three things I want us to walk away with. First of all, this morning, give as you can. How much should you give? The tithe has been considered the standard for most Christians, but some question the New Testament validity of the tithe. In other words, some people say if Jesus came and fulfilled the law, then the law is no longer binding, then the tithe is no longer binding. Now, we, we, we know that uh, much of the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament law, and we, we, we acknowledge that much of the law is no longer binding. The sacrificial system, the, the cleanliness codes, all these things are no longer binding. I, I believe that the tithe is still binding as a part of the New Testament principle because in, in my mind, Jesus affirmed that in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. There is Jesus taught with the scribes and Pharisees, with the Pharisees there, the religious rulers. And he says to them, he says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. He says, you do good to do that as you should have, but you've neglected the weightier matters of, of justice and of, and of charity. Jesus says to them, you should have been tithing, but Jesus says this, your tithe doesn't buy you out of being a decent human being. You hear that? Your money doesn't buy you out of being a decent human being. Your money given to the church doesn't mean that you can just go and behave any way that you want. If you're able to contribute significantly to the church, we're so glad for that. But the fact that you just you know, wrote a check for $100,000, I'm just going to leave that out there in case any of you want to, um, doesn't mean that you then get to come in and dictate what's going to go on or that you get to be a jerk to everybody around you. Jesus says to the Pharisees, it's good that you paid attention, but perhaps Jesus says you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Jesus says, hey, you've got it all the way down to the little tidbit. You catch what's going on right there? They've been so careful to make sure they give exactly 10% and not one dime over that they went through and they counted to see just how much cumin do they have. How much deal is present? Because we've weighed it out and we want to make sure that we give exactly 10%. Not 10.5%, not 12%, but exactly 10 Why? Because their goal was to purchase God's favor and God's goodness in their life. Folks, when we think about what it looks like as New Testament believers to be givers to God's church and to God's purposes, I want you to understand that you're not giving something so that you can purchase God's favor. You're giving because God has given so much to you. The New Testament principle is not that we should tithe so that we've earned it. 
but that we give cheerfully, not out of compulsion, but with joy. Why? Because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. But how much should you give? This, I, I think that we get some, some in, in, insight into that in this passage of Scripture. You know that Jesus doesn't criticize those who have the ability to give more. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see uh, Jesus or any other believer that says, Oh, you've got a lot. I can't believe you would give money to God's purposes. Instead, over and over and over again, the idea in the New Testament, the idea in the Old Testament, is that people should give in accordance with their ability. Give as you can. Give as you can. So if you have more, that's the reason that the tithe is is so awesome in the Old Testament because there was a clear um, proportional gift that was determined and dictated from the Lord. Right? If you had more, you were to give more. If you had less, you were to give less. The same thing continues to hold true in the church. If you've been blessed by the Lord to have a salary of $250,000, your gifts to God's church should be far more significant than the person whose whose salary numbers $30,000. You understand? There should be a difference and a distinction. Should it be 10%? I'm going to just be honest with you. It is is my conviction that for all who can, our goal as Christians should be for the the minimum to be 10%. (coughs) The minimum. Now look. There's some of you that are hearing me say that this morning going, Craig, you ain't seen my bank account. You haven't seen what's coming in and what's going out. And, and, and I just want you to know, I know that for some of you, like 10% seems like you would, that's not possible. It seems like that could never happen. Let me, let me just urge you this morning to begin doing the things you can to work your way towards a gift of 10% to your local church. So today you look at it, and perhaps as a result of overspending in your own life, perhaps as a result of, of, of bad credit, lots of things that, that you may have done, maybe some things that have happened to you, right? Regardless, but, but right now today you say, Craig, the best I can do, if, if, I, if I look at my, my salary, we can give 1%. Okay, then, then do that. Give that 1%. Let me challenge you. The Bible says in the book of Malachi that we should test the Lord in this and see if he doesn't open up the windows of heaven. Begin to give a little bit more than you feel comfortable with and see what might happen. See how it is that the Lord might bless you in that. Let me urge you. But, but look, if you've got a, a salary of $30,000, there's nobody here that believes that you need to be supporting the lion's share of the ministry of this church. Give as you can. The widow gave all that she had, just as the wealthy who came gave what they were able to give. Give as you're able, but give without shame. Give without shame. The world celebrates large gifts given by wealthy people. Forbes maintains a list of the most charitable people in the United States. Um, And uh, 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 Warren Buffett, I I believe, sits at the top of that list right now uh, with something like $29 billion given to charity. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates set number two right there um, with, with lots and lots of money being given to charity. Mark Zuckerberg's in there uh, with lots of money being given to charity. Um, and maybe some others that you would know. But um, we, we tend to, to have these kind of ideas about these people that give significant amounts of money. Just the past few wait, weeks right here in South Carolina, the election of a new president at USC led to a headline that read this way, USC mega donor. Darla Moore urges board to reject political influence. Folks, it's not new. Throughout history, there's been an inclination um, for wealthy people to be celebrated for their ability to give. There's a reason when you walk on the campus of of colleges and universities that you see buildings that are named after people. Very few of those people receive the blessing of having their name put on the front of that building because they were really nice guys. 
right? No, nobody's called me and said, hey, we would like to rename our library the Craig Thompson Memorial Library because you're just such a nice guy. But if I called up one of these colleges and said, hey, i got about $5 million I'd love to give for, uh, for the renovation and expansion of your library, you know what they do? They say, Craig, we are happy to name it whatever you want us to call it, Right? You want it to be called the Sloan Memorial Hot Library, then we will call it the Sloan Memorial Library, and we will put a collection of children's books in there if you will just write that check. There's, there's a tendency in us to celebrate those who give significant amounts of money, right? Do you know, however, that in heaven's economy it appears that this gets flipped upside down just a little bit? In heaven's economy, based on... Jesus' response to this poor widow, we might expect that the list of most charitable people would include Alicia, the single mom living on an income of $30,000 a year who faithfully found a way, made a way to give $40 a week. In heaven's economy, we might discover that even some widow ladies from our own church might have made that list. I'm able to share a couple of these with permission because I was asked to share them in their funerals. One, and, and Buster recently shared one. When Miss Sue McLeod died, and some of you remember Miss Sue, her children wanted me to share at her funeral just how passionate she was about giving. Giving. She literally, literally sat up in her deathbed, asked her children to bring her her checkbook so that she could write her check to her church. I actually have a canceled copy of that check right here in my notes. And there, her handwriting has gotten so poor because she's sitting there in that dark bedroom where she was working to write out this check. Malvern Hill Church is dated 8-8-18. She died on the 12th. She never left that bed again, but she wanted to make certain. That sweet little lady wanted to make certain that check made it. She wrote the check and had somebody put it outside so that somebody else, like Brother Leroy, could come by and pick that up and make sure that it made it to her church. Faithful giving. Faithful giving. A heart that says, no matter where I am or what in the world I got going on, I want to make sure that I have contributed to the church. Buster told me a story just yet Friday morning about Miss Jean Ogburn. Miss Jean Ogburn is one of the oldest ladies in her church who passed away just a few weeks ago. Uh, Miss Jean was a wonderful lady. One of, the, one of the sad things about a church that grows rapidly is many of you don't have the opportunity to have known some of our, our shut-ins because they, they perhaps have been removed from the regular days and regular life of the church for a number of years. And Miss Jean was just a wonderful lady. Uh, she, widowed, she was widowed early in life and basically raised her three children uh, as a single mom. Uh, her husband, I believe, was the one of the first, if not the first person to be baptized in this baptistry here um, in the original uh, sanctuary building. Uh, they labored to build this building. But her husband passed away, and Miss Jean was forced to raise her children, single income. She was a nurse. And she attended a missions meeting. And in that missions meeting, once upon a time, um, she was convicted and, and really felt impressed upon herself that she should give an offering to that missions meeting. But she also knew that the few dollars that she had in her pocket was all the money that she had. That was all that she had. And she knew that her children had to have lunch money in the week that was coming up. But Miss Jean still felt convicted and, and just really impressed from the Lord that she should contribute to that offering. And she took the few dollars that she had. And she gave them an offering to that missions fund. Now an incredible story about that is that 
Miss Jean didn't know how her children were going to eat the next week, but she was confident that if the Lord had called her to do it, the Lord was going to see her through it. And then from an unexpected place, she received the money that she would need next week for her children to be cared for. Folks, I want you to know that you can give without shame. You can give without shame. Because the Lord doesn't see as man sees. God looks at the heart. Oh, it breaks my heart when I sit occasionally and I speak with people and I help them and try to do a little bit of counseling with them as they, they talk to me about their desire to contribute financially to the church. And they say, but, but Craig, I, I just can't give much of anything. Folks, can I tell you that the economy of God's kingdom is not the same as the economy of man's kingdom. He sees the heart. And when Jesus saw this widow lady put her money into that bank account, that, that offering box, Jesus said she's given more than everybody else. Folks, I don't ever want any of you to have worry or fear or concern or shame. When you write your check and you look at that and you say, this is all I can do, can I tell you? That you're not giving to satisfy the desires of man. You're giving to a God who has given you so much. Oh, you can give without shame. You can give without shame. And I would urge you to do that. Give as you can and give without shame. Don't be ashamed at the blessings that God's given you. And never ever be ashamed for living in obedience to Christ. And finally this morning, give your life. Now, some commentators like to point this out, so I, and I just want to help us to understand. Let's come to this text and dig in for a few minutes. This, don't, don't get excited. The last point here is going to be longer than the other two. So if, if you can imagine Jesus is sitting there and all these people come by, he calls his disciples over and he says, Do you see what she's done? Now, what this woman has done is this woman has placed two small copper coins into this offering box. <coughs> now, these little copper coins um, were tiny. And it's important that we understand. So most of your Bibles would say something along the lines of uh, the fact that she gave uh, less than a penny. Uh, we, we don't, it's hard, and our Bibles just kind of have to generalize that because money and the valuation of money fluctuates up and down so much. Um, these Copper coins were the equivalent of one sixteenth of a denarius. All right. Now a denarius was a day's wage, so um, that that that's approximately what we're looking at right here. Um, no, wait a minute. No, they were the equivalent of one sixty fourth of a denarius, and a denarius was a day's wage. So if we were to do the math in our heads and figure this out, let's for a day's wage for a day laborer. Right? Not, not a day's wage for somebody well off. A day's wage for somebody who just gets picked up at the town square. Can you come help me at my, at my farm today? I, I could use you. So let's just assume that, um, that, 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 that one sixty-fourth of, of something like a uh, hundred bucks. Uh, where, where does that bring us down? We're, we're looking at somewhere in the range of a dollar, dollar and a half max. Okay, Maybe as little as, as a few pennies to 50 cents. The point is we're talking about next to nothing. Practically nothing in the economy in which she lived. These coins were actually called lepta. Now, lepta is related to the word that we get our word leaf from. And there's a reason for that. Because they were so thin and so small 
that it has been suggested that if you blew in your hand, they might literally fly out of your hand. They were just wafery, thin, copper coins. And the Bible says that she came and she gave both of them. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? She gave them both. She had two. She didn't have one coin that was worth 50 cents. She had two quarters. And those two quarters added up to 50 cents. And when she got to the box, she reached into her little purse and she pulled out two coins. And she took those two coins and she put both of those coins in the box. And Jesus says she gave all she had to live on. So how do we know that was all she had to live on? Because Jesus said it. Right? Don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that. Well, how would we know? Jesus said it. That's how. Right? And we stand on the Word of God whether we stand on anything else in the world. Jesus said it. Jesus knows. Why does Jesus know? Because He is God in the flesh. And what does God see? He doesn't see as man sees. Where does He see? All the way into the heart. You'll remember that it was the prophet who came and he said to the man, he says, man, God sent me here. I'm I'm going to anoint, I need to meet your sons. I've got a special task. And Jesse calls his sons out and the prophet works his way through and he said, ah, there's got to be somebody else. He says, ah, there ain't nobody else. There's got to be somebody else. Well, I mean, there's David, but David ain't nothing. Like he's out there in the flock. He says, I got to see this guy. You can imagine Jessica, really? Why would I waste your time? Why are you wasting my time? If I go get him, somebody's got to go watch the sheep. But all right, you know, you're the prophet. I'm not, let, me, let, me, let, let, let me do this. The Bible says that David was brought in. Samuel stood there and he looked. And the Bible says that the Lord said, there he is. There he is. Samuel said, what, what this? this? This is him? Like, we, we sometimes miss this. Because we read the Bible very flat. We don't read it in 3D. We don't read it as though we were there. Imagine you're standing there. This little kid shows up. He's looking all ruddy. He's, he's, he's strange. He smells because he's been out in, in the field. He's young. And, and he doesn't fit the mold. Saul is the king. Do you, do you hear me? Saul. Saul is the man. You can't miss that. Saul is man among men. Everybody looks at Saul and says, I want to be that guy. Everybody looks at David and says, who is he? Samuel has already been upset because they've rejected his rulership, his leadership. And instead of him, they've chosen Saul. And God says, I've rejected Saul. I've got another guy. Samuel says, all right, you got another guy. Let me go see him. Imagine Samuel. Samuel's expecting some guy that's going to one-up Saul. Right? And so they all come through, and Samuel's like, oh, I like him, I like him. Oh, this, I'll, I'll choose this guy as my replacement. And God says, no, 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 Samuel, these aren't the ones. Samuel says, Jesse, Jesse what you got? Jesse said, well, I got this other guy. Well, I need you to see him. And he comes in, and Samuel goes, oh, this isn't him. Put yourself in Samuel's shoes. This is going to replace me? God, if this is the best you got, God, what about me? God says, Samuel, I see what you can't see. You see as man sees. He says, Samuel, I see what's on the inside. I know what it's going to grow into. I know how this young man is going to blossom. He's a man after my heart, Samuel, and that matters more than nearly anything else. 
The Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Here's what commentators have helped me to understand this week. They've helped me to understand that the, the picture that Jesus is painting is of a woman who's not merely contributing to the offering, but of a woman who has given her entire life to the purpose of God's kingdom. She laid it all on the line. She could have only given one, but she said, I'm putting it all in, Lord. We don't know. But let's just imagine that perhaps this woman is at the end of her rope. She has tried everything. She's a poor widow. She's down to her few last pennies. She shows up in Jerusalem having spent everything she could to get there. She finally makes it to the temple and she says, Lord, you've sustained me this long. God, you've brought me this far, Lord. I don't know how. But God, I'm confident that you who brought me here can take me where I need to be. She says, God, this is all I've got. And Lord, I've tried to do it on my own and it didn't work. God, here it is. Oh, we miss the big picture when we talk about giving to God's kingdom and contributing to His church and living lives of generosity. We miss the big picture when we don't put it two and two together and to say that God demands not just our pocketbooks. God wants your life. She wasn't concerned with the tithe. She owed God far more than she could ever pay. She was giving not out of her wealth, but out of her devotion and deep need from the Lord. Folks, it is my hope, it is my prayer, that as a result of this sermon, that some of you would be convicted to give. It is my hope and prayer that some of you in here would hear this message and say, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus, but I've never tithed. I've never given in proportion to the way that God has blessed me, and I want to be faithful not only in my attendance, I want to be faithful in my finances. But even more, I, I hope that there's some of you who are in this place today who say, God, I haven't given you my money because, Lord God, I've never given you my life. Father, it's never occurred to me that, Lord, what you really want from me is a broken and a contrite heart. God, I, I, I haven't put all that I have in with you, Lord. See, some of you are like that widow. You showed up at church every Sunday. But you're not like her in this. When it came time to make a decision about what God would get from you, he got, he got one of those little coins, but the other one stayed in your pocket. And you said this, Lord, I'll give you this much of me, but God, you can't have it all. How many of you have ever been in that place? Lord, I, I like you, and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty committed to you, Lord, but... But God, if I go all in, I don't know what you might do with that. How many of you ever said, you know what, I, I, I hear what you're saying about surrendering to the Lord, but, 
But Craig, if, if I give my life to Jesus, I don't know what might happen. I had a police officer tell me one time, you know, I hear what you're saying. He said, but I mean, I'm, I'm a police officer. And if I give my life to Christ, he says, then, then I can't be what I'm supposed to be. I said, brother, you don't understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But there's some of you here today who have been sitting back and holding on. You've been holding on. You've been willing to give Jesus this much. But you've been holding back. Understand, I'm not talking about money. For some of you, it's a whole lot easier for you to give Jesus money than it is to give Him your life. Isn't it? How many of you would rather write a check than volunteer somewhere? For some of you, it's a whole lot easier to believe that you've, you've checked off your godliness by writing a check. Because you gave Him a portion, but you didn't give Him yourself. How do you give? Folks, it's important that we give as we can. That we give proportionately. I want you to give without shame. Listen, if you're here this morning... You're a single mom, you're a single dad, you're, you're, you're a married couple, but you're just struggling. I don't ever, ever want a soul in this church to feel shame when they write their tithe check. Listen, don't come in with cash and drop it in without your name on it because you're ashamed of the amount. No, we celebrate what God's doing in your life. We celebrate that. I'm thankful for what you can do and what you can give. And you shouldn't have any shame in that. Give as you can. Give without shame. But folks, more than anything, give your life. You see, because when people get, get excited about Jesus, when people find themselves devoted to the Lord, you know what? We don't have to beat them, beat them over the head with messages about faithfulness and giving. Because when they find that college student who rode a 20-inch bicycle six hours to camp out and look for a job so that he could roll in school for his second semester, people say that's a cause worth giving to. And folks, when you find yourself wholly committed to Jesus, you don't have to have a pastor stand up and say, to get your pocketbook in line. When you find yourself wholly committed to Jesus, it's amazing all of you start getting committed to Jesus. It's amazing you, you begin to live lives of generosity, not just with your talents or, or with your, your, your tithes. You begin to live lives of generosity with your talents and with your treasures, with your time, with all that you have. It's fun for me to watch folks grow in their relationship with Christ. Because as they grow in their relationship with Christ, they begin to hold a lot of things with a looser hand. They begin to hold tightly to that relationship they have with Jesus. But, but when they cling to that relationship, a lot of other things begin to, to slowly fade away. I've seen it. I've seen it as I've been the pastor here. I've seen some of you grow in Christ. And as you grow in Christ, you are less concerned with the material possessions you have. Those material possessions cease to be objects of glory in your own life and they become objects of ministry in your life. I've seen it. I've seen some of you who once upon a time wouldn't have imagined allowing somebody to, 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 to use something that was yours. I've seen that, that same thing become a thing of ministry for you. I've experienced in my own life 
I'll never forget the first time somebody asked to borrow my truck. I, 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 was, I, I don't know how old I was. I was a young man, but I, I, I just I couldn't. Well, well I, I paid for this with my own money. I, uh, you want, what, what if you scratch it? What if you do this? What if you do that? You know, it was amazing when I gave those keys up. When that thing came back, it was a whole lot easier the next time. I didn't even look for a scratch when it came back. I didn't look for a dent. Because what I found is that I had opportunity to care for and, and minister to those around me. That I saw that God was at work in my own life as well. So really the ultimate question this morning is not how much are you giving. Not how often do you give. It's, it's how do you give. How? Because the greatest thing I need you to do is to give your life to Jesus Christ. You understand? We're not going to leave here this morning asking you to, to write a, a commitment for how much money you're going to give in the next 12 months. Because I'm confident that the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills is going to take care of meeting the needs of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. See, I'm not worried about that. My concern this morning is do you belong to Jesus? See, it's been my experience that followers of Jesus give to causes of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be giving to the church. You should tithe. And probably you should be working to give more. Not, not out of compulsion, but out of joy for what Christ has done. I love what one of our old members used to say. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But he said, he said don't give till it hurts. He said, give till it feels good. You've got to give a long time before it feels good. See, some of you struggle to give. Your finances are tight. And you want to give more, but you've done all you can. Don't be ashamed. God's looking at your heart. But for some of you who are giving large sums of money each week, listen, you might need to be ashamed because God is looking at your heart. Do you hear what I said? Some of you who can't give a whole lot, don't feel ashamed because God's looking at your heart and you're doing all you can. But there might be some of you who are writing fat checks to the church on a regular basis and you do need to be ashamed. Not because of what's on that check, but because of what's in your heart have you given your life to Christ see I, I didn't ask you if you've been saved I asked you have you given your life to Christ all of it that's what I want to know did, did you give him did you give him everything that you had in your pocket When the Lord called me to ministry, I was 18 years old. That was in uh, 1998, 21 years ago uh, this fall. The Lord called me to ministry, and I'll never forget, and I said, absolutely not. Long story short, I was angry with the Lord for some things that had happened, and I said, no. Just that clear. I mean, that clear. If, if God had spoken to me verbally, it wouldn't have been any more plain to me. And I said, God, I will not serve you. God, I'll continue to go to church. I, 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 I might still sing a song, but I will not go into ministry. After what you did, you can have this much, but you can't have the rest. I don't think I lost my salvation on that night. Okay? But I can tell you this. God had all of me, but I didn't give God all of me, if you, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I was still saved, but I, I hadn't surrendered control of my life to His plan, His will. And so that's my question for you this morning. Does God have all of your life?
It's appropriate that we would have that conversation during a sermon that's about tithing. Jesus says this widow gave all that she had. She literally put her life on the line. Lord, I trust you. It's appropriate that we have that conversation. We talk about money. Because, see, here's the ugly reality. For many of you, I can look at your, I can look at your, your bank account. I can look at your budget for the year. And we can see where your heart is. We can could, we could see that. So does God have all of you? Have you been willing to surrender to Him everything? Your time? Your talents? Your treasure? Have you? Have you been willing to be uncomfortable for the Lord? Have you been willing for the church to be inconvenient? A a church life is an inconvenience. Do you know that? If you live church the right way, it's going to be inconvenient. Period. Somebody's going to call you and ask you to do something that you ain't really got time to do. That you just really don't feel like doing. It's part of what it's like to be a part of a church family. It's like having a cousin who needs you to help them move. Your time, your talents. Have you been willing to contribute to the church out of your abilities and your treasures? What have you given to Jesus? Let me challenge you this morning. Could today be the day that you stop holding back and you start giving freely? You see, that's that's the only struggle with the tithe for me. Some folks look at the tithe, and when they look at that tithe, they see that and they go, I reached my mark. Check that off the list and I'm done. But Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to go this far and then I'm done. The Bible says that Jesus gave his life for you and for me. That we might experience eternal life. You see, our privilege of giving back to the Lord a portion of what he's given to us is not so that we can check it on and say, I made it far enough. Really and truly, as we grow in a relationship with the Lord, it should probably look a lot more like... God, I, I understand even more today than I did yesterday what you've done for me. How, how, can I, how can I return more to you, Lord? God, how can I serve you greater, Father? God, how can I give more of my life to you? There might be some of you here that as I've talked about money, you, you feel inside of you a growing frustration and anger. I don't mean this ugly. I just want to suggest this to you. Is it possible that that's coming from a place of sin and not righteousness? And that you're angry today because, because this sermon has hit far too close to home. And rather than leaving here frustrated or anger today, you need to come and you need to offer to the Lord that anger and that frustration and say, Lord God, I've held too closely to the things you've given me. It might be that some of you walked in here, don't have a relationship with Jesus, and go, oh, all these people do, they always want to talk about money. If you don't know Jesus, you're not part of our church, hear from me. I don't want your money. For goodness sakes, we don't want it. Because we want to see you come to know the Lord. You know what? You give your life to Jesus, and we'll trust Jesus to take care of the rest. Would you come today? And not give Jesus just half. Would you come today and give him a whole? All of your life. Would you lay it down in front of him and say, Lord God, I don't know what I'm going to do with tomorrow. God, I'm not sure how you're going to take this paltry life of mine and do something with it. And God, when I give it to you, I don't know how I'm going to continue on, Lord. 
But God, I'm going to trust you to do with it better than I can. However it is that Lord's at work in your life. I want to urge you to come. You say, I have nothing to give. And I say, that's just fine. Because out of her poverty, this woman gave. And in her poverty, she experienced the wealth of God's blessings. That's the God we serve. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you be at work. Father, make us people of generosity with our time, our talents, our treasures, but Lord God, even more. Father God, for those that may be here today, that Father God, perhaps harbor resentment over these issues of money because they've clung too tightly, because maybe money's become an idol in their own life. Father God, I pray that you would grant them repentance this morning. Father, if there be one here today who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, Lord God, I pray that today would be the day that they leave their sin and run to Jesus, find hope. They would come today and experience the forgiving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would y'all stand with us as we sing, no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to be slaves to money or power or fame or fortune slaves to righteousness in Jesus Christ who gave us all that we need. You unravel me with a